Well, hey there, Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. I just wrapped up a visit to Minnesota's annual DNR roundtable meetings. They are a day of discussion about the good and the not so good of topics like our clean water, habitat restoration, and wildlife. Think a state of the state of our natural world. And not everyone gets to go to the meetings. So today, I thought I'd share a little bit. Thoughts on this year's topics, the interesting moments, and a few big challenges ahead. All right. Welcome to today's episode. Minnesota Bound, the stories behind the story. Again, I'm Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. And it's an interesting time of year. Winter is on its way out. Spring is coming. And every year, one of the first signs of spring are the annual DNR roundtable meetings. Um, what is it? Well, it's a meeting of conservation leads and uh, leadership in our state. You know, Governor Walls speaks every year at the roundtable meetings. Commissioner Sarah Strawman, she uh, is there as well. And this year, um, there were some pretty interesting takeaways from the meeting. Um, really what happens is, Everyone gets together at one of the uh, convention halls at the big hotel in the Twin Cities, and there are a bunch of different topics and meetings throughout the day. You know, the meeting every year kicks off with a keynote speaker, and this year it was the mayor of Duluth, Emily Larson, who had um, some pretty interesting thoughts because Duluth, they are now calling that city um, a climate refuge. And it's an interesting topic because my buddy, John Fennell, who runs the old fly shop up in Duluth, he used to talk about his clients were the same 33 people that would come into the shop. But now they are all new people, a lot of them from the East Coast. I had also um, read an article not long ago, maybe in the Washington Post or New York Times, something like that. And it was written by um, a climate researcher who said, look, Hurricanes are going right now in Houston. Fires are ravaging California. We are seeing climate change at its worst right now. And that article talked about three cities that would have big rebirths. Detroit, he said, over the next 50 years will be wiped out and completely rebuilt with a new population. Milwaukee, same story. And then the third city, Duluth. And the reason people want Duluth is water, water as a positive resource. And during the roundtable meetings, when Mayor Larson spoke, she said they had done research and the top four reasons why people are interested in the city of Duluth, number one, Lake Superior, the water. Number two, open space, nature and woods. Number three, trails. And number four, parks. What an amazing list for a city and a lure for people. You know, a couple of things she talked about. Um, within the Duluth city limits, 16 trout streams, 27 miles of shoreline. This I thought was a very interesting number. 35% of the city is either parkland or forfeited, undevelopable undevelopable, can't even say that word, land that 
that is just a lure for people. And also, nature is tied to Duluth's construction and expansion. It is a big deal in that city. Um, a couple of things I've noticed recently up in that area. The hospitals are growing. It is also already an epicenter for hospitals, but now they have these new buildings that are going up, massive facilities. You would think that that industry is forecasting and seeing that people are going to be moving to that neck of the woods. Also, think about Lutzen Ski Resort. They are talking about potentially doubling that facility in size. I think it is owned by Vail Companies, and you can be darn sure that those people um, have researchers on staff and they can see what's ahead. That as Duluth becomes kind of a population epicenter, people are going to need outdoor releases. And Lutzen is just up the road along Lake Superior, and that is going to be um, a great place for people to recreate outdoors. Also, the other part of that. Ski resorts, if they're not going to have snow, if they're not going to have moisture, there's no way they're going to expand. So I think that is probably a good sign as to what people see ahead for our state. Um, the mayor's comments were very, very interesting. Again, we have a resource in our state that a lot of places do not have. Lots of water, lots of clean water. And that's a message for the round table, right? That in our state, we need to protect our um, clean water resources. As always, you know, running the engineering stand here for the Minnesota Bound podcast is the Swiss Army of the mixing world, Brandon Morton. Brandon, does yeah. any of this seem to make sense to you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Duluth is probably my my go-to spot like if i'm going to go anywhere randomly on a weekend or a weeknight um, i'm always going to duluth so i can it, it definitely makes sense to me especially with the population growth you know it used to be a working class port city right the place where the iron ore leaves the iron range and goes on to ships as well um agriculture our grains um literally going all over the world but it is now an outdoor Mecca and they are marketing themselves that way. And the population is growing. Again, you hear about all these stories about water, big drought in the West, the hurricanes, right? Just beating up places like um, Florida. And I can understand why people are changing the way they think. And as a population, we are starting to move inland yeah when you see when you see the climate change maps the forecast for the future minnesota and just like the surrounding area is just a green spot in the middle of the map everywhere else starts getting more orange into red and stuff like that when you get towards the coast so it it does make sense and for the roundtable discussions with the dnr is talking about habitat clean water the state of our wildlife it makes sense that this is a topic that will probably be continuing here over the next 20 years is people moving to our state because of the resources. I thought that was interesting. You know, the other person to speak was Governor Walls. He always uh, shows up and touts some of the positive impacts, right? Everyone's got a sales pitch. But this year we had a budget surplus as a state and the governor announced that um, he is appropriating about $110 million 
dollars to update the state's fish hatcheries. Those are the places where um, biologists and researchers raise fish to stock into our lakes and rivers. Um, it doesn't always have a positive feel when you talk about hatcheries, but raising walleyes as an example, that's an important part of our state's fishing economy. Think about the number, Brandon, 4.4 billion dollars a year in a positive economic impact for fishing. That's wow. why the hatcheries are so important. And many are outdated and crumbling. That's that that is such a huge number. I've actually never never heard it put to an actual dollar sign. 4.4 billion dollars. So, the governor says as part of the new budget, 110 million to update fish hatcheries. The other part of that that I think is interesting, updating public water accesses. So I think they're talking about um, putting money towards like 100 boat accesses around the state. Those get beat up and they get um, outdated as well. And and water being such a resource in this state, they want to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to get on the water. Something I'm a part of right now with boat accesses, on Lake Minnetonka, the North Arm launch is old, outdated, and eroding. Um, Tony Bruff from Hennepin County right now is working with developers to figure out what, you know, a high-tech boat access point might look for on a busy lake, Minnetonka being about the busiest we've got in the state. So they're talking about how do they maximize parking and access? How do they get boats in and out efficiently? How do they control um, water runoff, aquatic, aquatic invasive species, um, cleanup points, access for paddle boards and canoes, fishing opportunities so people can go to a boat launch and park and go fish from shore, right? Uh, so so the money that the governor is appropriating will, will kind of help with some of these topics. Um, and I think also there's money uh, announced that will help um, clean up our state parks. They have had a tremendous amount of use um, since COVID because more people got outdoors into open spaces and away from people, the parks are eroded. So trail maintenance, um, building maintenance, campsite maintenance. So um, some of that surplus money um, is in there and it sounds like uh, many of um, these things will be passed as we uh, get along in the year. So good news for our outdoors. Uh, Let's see, what else? Let's do this. Let's take a break and thank some of the sponsors that make the Minnesota Bound podcast happen each week. And then I want to get into a couple of very specific topics um, that were discussed as part of this year's roundtable. Among them, the debate of wakeboard boats in our lakes. All right. Up first, we'd like to thank the sponsors who help make the podcast happen. Of course we'd like to thank the Minnesota Propane Association. 
Most people agree that we need to lower our carbon footprint while providing reliable and affordable energy. A diverse energy mix will provide reliability and affordability, which is extremely important during Minnesota's four distinct seasons. Fortunately, a clean energy solution for tomorrow is available today. That's ready to work alongside with other energy sources, and it's propane. Propane produces 43% fewer emissions than electricity generated from the U.S. grid. Propane is energy stored on site and independent from the vulnerabilities of the grid. And propane's benefits don't end there. Major advances are being made today for renewable propane that is compatible with the traditional propane and requires no additional infrastructure investments. Minnesota needs to use all our low-carbon alternatives, including propane, to safely provide energy, reliability, resiliency, and affordability. Propane, the right energy right now. To find out more about what propane can do for you, visit propane.com. Also, a shout-out to our good friends at Kinetico. You already know how much the Shirk family loves Kinetico water. We have it in our home, and this past summer, we added it to our cabin. And oh, what a difference it has made. Really, for as long as I can remember, we have always dealt with cabin water, the stinky, foul well water. But after a really painless four-hour installation, we now have Connecticut's soft water and Connecticut's K5 drinking system. No more bottled water to try and make coffee in the morning before fishing. We have great water right out of our K5 tap. Also, our laundry no longer smells funky, and the Connecticut water cleaned up our showers and dishes. The world's most efficient, worry-free water system. Visit Connecticut.com to find a dealer near you and join the Connecticut family. All right, Brandon. Um, eight hours of meetings. It sounds like a long day, but when the topics are about the outdoors and things I am passionate about, it's pretty easy to sit through the annual Department of Natural Resources roundtable. Again, it is a meeting of conservation minds annually, um, talking about the positives and also some of the challenges for the natural world here in Minnesota. And one of the big debates, and it's almost like a hush-hush topic, nobody really wants to talk about it, is wakeboard boats. What do you know about them? Or what do you hear about them? All I, all I really know or all I hear is uh, the Instagram posts that I see <laughs> constantly. Of people who are out enjoying a day on the water? Yeah, yeah. Create that big wake behind the boat. But that's that's really all, all I know about them. I know they could be a nuisance if you're on a kayak. That's that's for sure. But. Yeah, well, right. And, and, and that is the debate of the boats. Now, I'm an angler, so I'm out on a lot of Minnesota lakes trying to be somewhat quiet when I'm fishing and stealthy. And a lot of times I'm interacting with wakeboard boats. They are big fiberglass boats and they have ballast tanks in them. So they fill those tanks with water um, so that the boat rides lower in the water. And as they drive around, they push more water and create these giant wakes, which in the world of wakeboarding is what you want because you want to be able to be on these little boards and essentially surfing the wakes behind these boats. And, and I want to say this, I'm not against wakeboard boats at all. I've got all kinds of friends who own them and do it, enjoy their time on the water. But the challenge has become, 
And I'll use, I'm going to pick North Arm in Lake Minnetonka as my sample. I will go out there to fish during the summer, and there will be three or four wakeboard boats in this little bay almost dueling with each other, right? They put around at, I don't know what it is, eight miles an hour, 10, 12 miles an hour, whatever it is, creating these big wakes while people ride behind the boat. But now you have these boats going back and forth, dueling each other, and they're just sending these massive wakes every direction. Um, Number one, it becomes a challenge for other boats that are around because the waves are huge, right? So in a small 14-foot boat, you are literally getting rocked. One of the other um, debates is these wakes don't disperse in small areas of lakes. So they travel to shore and they are eroding and beating up shorelines. And I think that is the debate, right? Everyone needs to have access to lakes. But what is too much? What is hurting our lakes? The other, so that was a topic. I was sitting in a a, um, fishing um, meeting and they had kind of a Q&A session and somebody raised their hand and said, well, what are we going to do about the wakeboard boats? And it was funny because some of the leadership in that room kind of went, uh, that, that's probably a topic for another day. <laughs> like it's a hot button that people don't necessarily want to talk about. And I thought it was interesting because there was also a little bit that came out of the roundtables this meeting, maybe a bit of research that said the wakes aren't just on top of the water, but those boats create great turbulence as deep as 20 feet in a lake. So they're trying to figure out what the impact can be on the weed life, the aquatic life down there. Um, So that's a topic. And I understand why people are a little bit sensitive right now, because I don't think anyone really has an answer. I think on Lake Minnetonka, they're changing some of the rules right now um, to keep the boats away from shore. Um, I think, don't quote me on this, but like 300 yards from shore. Well, there are some areas where there aren't 600 yards across, so I don't know where those boats exist. But anyhow, that was a topic um, this year, the wakeboard boats. See, for me, like with technology and, you know, everything that we have, I understand there has to be studies that happen and, you know, that go on further down the road. But with GPS, we can, can't we set specific areas for people to go or specific lakes where, you know, it wouldn't affect it as much or even time limits, certain hours of the day. Are those right. ideas that, that have come up? For, for yes. This? And those are probably all on the table, but it's the old, not in my backyard. So somebody who lives on the lake in whatever Stubbs Bay and somebody all of a sudden says, all right, Stubbs Bay is where the wakeboard boats go. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> I, That's fair. I, I I get it. it I, the way the waves, whatever, I can live with some of the waves as long as people are a little bit thoughtful about it. But you know what gets me is they now have all these speaker systems on the back. Yes. And so you'll have three boats blaring the music, trying to outdo each other because the stereo on that boat's loud and we can hear it and we don't want to hear that. We want to hear our own music. So they start cranking. Now all the people who are around those boats are dealing with all the damn music. And I sound old, but 
I don't go out onto a lake and into the boat to have my rock and roll. I go out to relax a little bit. And for me, the music can be an issue. I can tell you up at Gull Lake, the cabin, we will hear music. And I'm going to stereotype here, but it's wakeboard boats with the speakers on the mounts above the boat. They're blasting at 10, 11, 12 o'clock when they're leaving the bars or cruising around on the lake. That's not a positive for me. I completely agree. I go to nature to to enjoy it. I do understand, you know, heck, I bring a little transistor radio when I go out camping, but I, I still keep that at a level where it's peaceful. But I, that makes me old, too, I guess. I don't know. I, they're going to have to talk about the noise of that stuff. And right there's pushback. I have a big motor on my boat. And when I'm zipping down a lake, it makes noise. So what's the difference between that and loud music? I, I don't know. I like the hum of my motor. I don't like the scream of loud music <laughs> at 10 o'clock at night on a lake. I think most of us can agree on that. Um, another interesting topic this year, um, at least I thought, is they had a breakout session on what have always been known as rough fish in our state. And the state is sort of renaming them, instead calling them Minnesota's other native fish. Things like big mouth buffalo, buffalo carp, right? Um, Burbot, American eels, like species like red horse, you know, they're they're native to the state, but people have seen rough fish as being a negative. And the state is trying to say, hey, no, they're actually good for the ecosystems and they bring some great recreational opportunities for angling. So they're trying to change the perception of some of those fish. I thought that was very interesting. That one was not on my radar. Really? Carp. Right. I mean, I've heard of the invasive species of carp, but yeah, I didn't think that would be on, on the radar. A bunch of natives. And there are. There are a lot of invasive species. The silvers, you know, all those making their way up the river. That's another big topic that gets discussed every year. How are we going to contain the invasive species? And they're trying like heck but they don't have it figured out yet. But yeah, these other rough fish. And it was funny because the guy who was speaking, I kept looking at Corey thinking, gosh, I know this guy. I know I've spent time with him. I'm getting old. I can't remember where it was. And then it hit me. Oh, yeah. Roughfish.com. Every year, this group of, again, they used to be called rough fish anglers. They get together down in southeastern Minnesota, and they have a big annual um, weekend camp out and fishing tournaments and fishing fun. And Corey's one of the members of that event. I could not believe when we went to shoot the story for Minnesota bound, how many dang people show up for this event. They are coveted fish. If you understand them and I just don't have a great enough grasp, but yeah, rough fish are now Minnesota's other native fish. An interesting title. I I had to go over to the website right away, and I'd recommend people do it too. I'm blown away by some of the pictures I just saw on the front yeah. page. It's yeah. wow, that's the it's incredible. Big fish, 
and fishing a lot of rivers. And it's funny. Um, when, when we've been down to do stories or do a little bit of research on, on rough fish, otherwise known as Minnesota's other native fish, you'll see an Amish buggy parked on a country bridge and you'll see a bunch of Amish folks out fishing for some of these species. I just, I think that's awesome, right? I don't, I don't see the Amish when I'm out walleye fishing, but fishing from shore, a simple means, you know, of just a really fun way to fish. So yeah, that was, that was another breakout topic this year at the round table that I thought was very, very interesting. All right. We're going to thank a few more sponsors and then we'll come back and um, talk about two other uh, topics that are maybe a little bit controversial in our state. Number one, the amount of fishing tournament permits that are being handed out and the other biggie fish limits in our state. I'm Bill Shirk, the man about the woods, and this is the Minnesota Bound podcast. All right. We'd like to thank some of the folks who help us uh, broadcast to you every week. Um, and I'd like to thank our friends at the Minnesota Historical Society. You know, the History Forum is back right now at the Minnesota History Center. Since 2004, the History Forum has explored American history with some of the nation's very best scholars. That tradition now continues in 2023 with five events highlighting the diversity and excellence of today's historical scholarship. In-person and virtual tickets are available at mnhs.org slash history forum. We would also like to thank our good friends at Star Bank. Hi there, Ron Shera here for Star Bank. If you're putting your money into mega banks down the street, who knows where that money's being used? Bank locally. Keep your money local with a community bank that actually cares about you, your family, your business, and your goals. Check out the bank we use at Minnesota Bound. Try Minnesota's own Star Bank. You can find them online at starbank.net. When you call Star Bank, you actually hear a real living person answering the phone. StarBank has 10 convenient locations around Minnesota to serve you and all the mobile banking products that you need to manage your money. Check out all that StarBank has to offer at StarBank.net. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Okay, so the annual DNR Roundtable meetings just wrapped up. Um, one little thing that was a little different this year, the Roundtable has always been by invite only. Way back in the days, I used to think, gosh, how cool would it be to actually get invited to the roundtable meetings? You know, folks like Ron Shera, Tom Newstrom, just a lot of the big names, uh, the folks from Pheasants Forever, Howard Vinson, all the big names in the outdoor and conservation world would get invited to talk through the positives and not so positives of Minnesota's outdoor world. Clean water, degrading habitat. What do our wildlife populations look like? What are our big challenges? And and I've been lucky enough to um, have been a part of the roundtable now for quite some time. I don't know, well over a decade now. Uh, 
But this year they changed things a little bit where um, some folks just kind of from the general public, for lack of a better description, can now go to the roundtable meetings. So it was a little different crowd this year. And I think the idea is to bring in some fresh voices and just um, have people have an opportunity to attend. And, and as always, the questions came left and right on fish limits in Minnesota. Um, famed guide Tommy Newstrom um, has been on this topic for years and years, kind of leading the charge. And, you know, a lot of other folks uh, are on board with this. And there's been a lot of talk about dropping, you know, general walleye limits to four, which, which has always been an interesting number to me. Brandon, because here, here's why. First off, the biologists, the researchers will tell you that dropping a limit to four will have essentially zero impact, positive impact on Minnesota fish populations. And you go, well, what's the dang point then? Why even talk about that? And the answer is on the political side, members of the legislature aren't willing to pitch drastic changes to all their constituents because they don't think they'll get the vote. So dropping by one fish to a limit of four is really about changing public perceptions and getting people on board. I think that is very intriguing, Brandon. Yeah, it, it, it seems like they're just playing a numbers game. If you drop one by that many people, it has to make that big of a difference. And, and they say biologically, no, if a lake that's, you know, the fishing population is not great, it's going to have no impact, but it's going to change how people think about limits, right? You talk about the old days when the grandparents and they kill every fish they caught and they kept every fish to fill the freezer. And now we have a much better understanding that if we're going to continue a legacy of fishing in our state, my kids, someday hopefully my grandchildren, that they have an opportunity to have a positive fishing experience on the water, that we have to protect the resource. And so, so now instead of four, people are saying, well, if we're going to climb this big wall, why don't we just go right to three? You know, the other number that the researchers will throw out is really, if you want to have a great impact on a population of a lake, you have to go to two fish limits. That is when you will really start to see positive changes. Three, yeah, some good things might happen over time, but two is really the number. I am not the kind of person who keeps a lot of fish. I don't fill my freezer. It, it just, I don't know. It, maybe it goes back to the music thing. For me, I get on the water with my family to relax. I love fishing. I want to be very successful at it but I don't want loud music. I don't want to keep a pile of fish. I love to catch them, get the fun out of them, and then release them back so that the population stays healthy and maybe somebody else has an opportunity to catch that same fish at some point. So the limit thing for me is easy. Like if it's going to positively impact our lakes, let's go. Let's just do it. 
Yeah, I'm all for it. You know, when I was growing up, I remember catch and release being a very, very popular thing. It being heavily promoted. It was on the back of your measuring ruler or everything like that. Yep. Catch and release was just became kind of second nature when I was growing up. Plus, when I went fishing, it was with me and a bud. We'd just drive out to the country, and quite frankly, we just didn't want to bring a bunch of fish home to clean and take care of for the rest of the day. We just enjoyed going out to the country and fishing. That's why I have mixed emotions on competitive fishing. You know, it's part of what I do. Yes, I have to be in some fishing tournaments every year, and I I enjoy them well enough. But one of the big negatives for me was always seeing all these fish being brought in for weigh-ins. And for some of those events, the fish have to be harvested. They can't be returned to the lake because of the stress issues. And I always have a problem with that. That was very difficult for me. Um, I remember watching a northern tournament on one of my very favorite lakes, and all these great pike anglers are out catching these massive fish, bringing them in, and the fish didn't go back to the lake. And that made me sick to my stomach. Now, many tournaments are moving to and adopting the CPR, which stands for catch photograph and release. And we have all these great apps that allow you to take a picture with a ruler and enter your fish that way. I think it is absolutely wonderful. But for me, there's a tie, right? Fishing limits and releasing fish. Um, Obviously, there is going to be some fish kill when you fish, you know. Um, Hook rate mortality is what they call it, hooking mortality. But I think a fair amount of fish that we handle um, safely and release quickly do just fine. And so that's that's why I want to see fish limits and a change in the regulations happen. You know, on the northern pike side, they are doing a better job, the state protecting our pike populations and putting some um, rules in place. The other big one is panfish. People love catching giant bluegills and other big panfish, but panfish don't get a lot of protection. So the state is going to have to do a better job um, of protecting our panfish limits. And and they're talking about that now. Um, So for me, really, those were the big takeaways um, from the roundtable this year. Probably one other thing that I think is important, and I've seen a little bit of chat post meetings is a lot of people say you look you look at the convention halls and the meeting there are a lot of people with gray hair and the point is it is an aging population and some people have said i want to see more young people involved in the decision making while the round table makes a point now that at the beginning around the time of the keynote speaker during the introduction to the day that they have all the young folks stand up in the convention hall. And it feels to me like year after year, there are just a few more people standing up, a few more young minds raising hands. Um, And I think that is a good thing as we move forward. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's about, it's kind of about anything that you want to get changed in any sort of society. It's about the young people stepping forward and actually taking place in it. Years ago, we sat with Pheasants Forever. You know, they, we helped produce their uh, 
national television show, The Flush, and back in the day, it was called Pheasants Forever Television. And it was funny. They were doing research. So we were sitting in a conference room, and I said, our research is in, and we have found out that Pheasants Forever membership is one year older than it was one year ago. <laughs> you go, sure. no kidding. <laughs> How much did you pay for that research? But uh, the point was that the membership of that organization was aging. Now we jump ahead. I don't know. That meeting was probably 12, 15 years ago, something like that. The Pheasants Forever has figured it out. Their membership is getting younger. Well, and that is a small piece of the puzzle, but it is a snapshot as to what is happening with conservation. I think that is really, really good news. I think another uh, a group, an up-and-coming one, is that backcountry hunters and anglers, where they've really got the idea of how to get that young membership in there and kind of be a, a newer version of a, of a conservation group, too. Big time. They weren't on the radar 10 years ago. Now they are arguably one of the top conservation groups in the United States. Lantani, um, in, in fact, he was just in town last night um, doing a meet and greet kind of discussion roundtable sort of thing at one of the brew pubs here in Minneapolis. Like that is, and I'm sure that event was absolutely packed. I was lucky enough to paddle into the boundary waters with land um, a couple of years ago. And what a great guy, what a charismatic young mind, a great speaker, and has just some great ideas. And one of the things I love about that organization, and this is also a topic that pertains to the roundtable meetings here in Minnesota, public land access. I've got a buddy with a shotgun company making custom shotguns by a small Italian family in Italy. And we're talking guns that are like $4,000. and a lot of millennials are buying those guns. They want to have the very best gear, but you know where they want to hunt? Public land. Of course. They don't want to to pay to go to some fancy lodge or some private ranch. They want public land, land which, you know, we deserve to hunt. I think that is telling, and I think that is one of the reasons the backcountry is doing so well. You're you're an example of that, I would argue, right? Yeah. As a as a camper and a guy who gets outdoors, where do you want to go? I I go to a a lot of state parks and the state forests. A lot of state parks. I've been to dozens of them here in Minnesota. Even in Wisconsin, I've gone to state parks. Yep, and I think that's the point. So, anyhow, um, there you go. A few notes from this year's roundtable meeting. Yes, it's a long day. Yes, I don't always enjoy all of the topics or all of the speakers, but I go listen to those things that I want to hear or those topics that I'm curious about. And now you know a few of them. If you have specific topics that uh, you want us to talk about or that you want us to tackle, things like clean water, what about the wakeboard boat debate? Um fish limits, anything that's on your mind, do me a favor. Drop me a note at Ron Shera Productions. Give you my email. It's just bill at mnbound.com. If you have a topic that you wish we would talk about, drop me an email. That's what this podcast is all about. 
Um, thanks for listening today. And uh, I am getting ready to get into the car and drive up to the Boundary Waters with the Shirk Boys and photojournalist Aaron Ochtenberg and um, one of his sons. And we are going to hike off the grid into the slushy snow and camp for a few days. Before I go, I need to thank a few of the sponsors that help make the Minnesota Bound podcast happen each week. Of course, the stories behind the stories brought to you by Connecticut Water Treatment Systems. Also, the Minnesota Historical Society, the Minnesota Propane Association, and Star Bank. Until week, what do we until next week, what do we always say? Don't forget to introduce a kid to the great outdoors. Mm-hmm.